Well, good morning once again. Um, it is good to be here today. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 3. If you want to follow along um, in your Bible or on the Sky Bible behind me. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, and Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Father, today we pray as we open your word, as we look into the text, Father, we would see Jesus in new and beautiful ways. Would we see him through not only our lives, but Father, through our church as we reach into this world with the good news of the gospel. Father, we pray your spirit be present today in Jesus' name. Amen. So about two years ago, we began this process of looking at our church and trying to define who we wanted to be as we continued to move forward and what values were really important to us as a church. And we decided that where we wanted to go as a leadership team, as a um, vision team, was we wanted to be about exalting Christ, encouraging one another, and engaging our neighbor. And if you were here for that process, or if you've been a part of Shiloh for a long time, one of the things you'll know is that we felt we were very good um, is in focus around exalting Christ and encouraging one another. But one of the, the places that we really needed to move forward was engaging our neighbor. And I think one of the things you find in church is that as you gather, it's easily, easy to turn inward and begin to focus on one another and one another's needs to the detriment of those who are on the outside who are not a part of this place. And we say we want our focus to be moving us from exalting Christ to encouraging one another to moving out to engage our neighbor. And we've been talking as a staff, well, if we're going to do that, what are these core values? What are the things that have to be so important to us as a church as we move forward if we're really going to exalt, encourage, engage? And last week, if you were here, um, we said one of those values is that we would pursue God together. That, that we know that this intimate connection with our Creator is one of the most important foundational pieces of our mission. That we have this relationship with God, but not just on this individual level, on this communal level. 
that we as the church are unified in this pursuit, this passionate pursuit of knowing Jesus. This week, I want to kind of shift as, as we move forward. And as I said last week, of pursuing God together is kind of foundational for all of these other values. We want to talk about this one. And, and people matter. People matter. As we said last week, the first three of these values we think have been so key and foundational to the history of Shiloh. And so naming them is not saying we don't see that here. Naming them is seeing, saying we've seen this here and we want it to continue to be a core value that pushes us forward towards 2030. And now here's, here's what's crazy. I had this epiphany. We started this process in 2016. And we said we want to look out 14 years at the year 2030. And, and I don't know about you, but that seems so far off until you think back. It's 2018. Not only is it 2018, it's January 14th. January is like almost done. Like it's practically Christmas. <laughs> and it goes fast. And, and the longer, the more we sit the closer that gap gets to when 2030 is here. And the question that we need to be asking along the way is, well, what are we doing to move forward in this process, in this pursuit, as we pursue what it means to be God's people, where God has placed us today? And we want one of those foundational pieces to continue to be this people matter. People matter to God, and people matter to us. If you go back to the beginning of the story, it begins with God speaking his word into the darkness, into the void, and creating life. And the culmination of his creation is man. The only thing in all of creation that resembles its creator. The only thing in all of creation that's made in the image of him. And God has this relationship with man as it is supposed to be at peace with one another. And then there is this tension, this rub, this fraction that occurs in the garden and there's this separation. And from that point forward, God begins to pursue his people. And so many times we want to begin the story of redemption with sin in Genesis 3, but the story does not begin in Genesis 3. The story begins in Genesis 1. And the good news is God is trying to restore and reconcile the relationship as it was supposed to be. It doesn't start with man is sinful. It starts with man is good. And then God begins this pursuit of his people to reconcile and bring back that relationship that was broken and that was fractured and that was separated. And so we understand that this story, the story of the Bible, the story of God is about this passionate pursuit of people and simply because people matter. People matter to God. 
and therefore people must matter to his church. People are the pinnacle of the creation. They are the point where God rejoices and says, now everything is complete, and this is good. And the story, as you know, goes to a cross with Jesus and a resurrection, and then before Jesus ascends back into heaven, he says, hey, I've got to tell you something. You have this job to do, to go into this world and preach the good news and see people baptized and see lives changed and people resurrected. And then go and wait for me in Jerusalem. I'm going to come, I'm going to fill you, and then I'm going to send you out throughout this earth to be the light, the city on a hill that I've called you to be. This is your vocation and they go and wait in this upper room. And one of the things you notice is after the Spirit sends them out to go into all the world, that as the story is told, they continue to stay in the same place. Genesis 2, or I'm sorry, Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, they're still in Jerusalem. And it's not until the stoning of Stephen and the persecution that breaks out that the church actually scatters and begins to move out. And so this story that unfolds with Peter and John and a lame man at a gate happens in Jerusalem. And it happens in the place where they're stuck in the routine and the comfort of their lives. What are they doing when they encounter this man? They're going to the temple. When? At the time of prayer, about three in the afternoon. Why? Because we do that every day. That's part of our life. That's what we know. And we can't imagine God moving us outside of that. Because this is what we've done to follow God from the beginning. At three o'clock, we go to prayer at the temple, and we sit and we pray. Because that's what we're supposed to do. That's where God's at work. That's where we encounter him. And they've missed this message that something has failed to click in their head. That that there is this transition from the temple to the, the world. From Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and out to the ends of this earth. Somehow they've missed it in their comfort, in their complacency. And I wonder at times if it's not possible that we get so comfortable in doing what we do, the way we do it, that we come and we gather and we think this is what it's about. And they're walking up to this gate, this temple gate called Beautiful. And I think one of the things that this story begs you to answer is what is it that's beautiful? Well, it's this gate It's the gate to this entrance to the temple, and it is beautiful. But in the story, there's this conflict, there's this problem that something is obstructing the view. There's a lame man, and he's got a past. He's been this way from the beginning, we've seen him day after day after day, year after year after year, sitting and begging and pleading with people, help me, give me, give me, give me. And the perception is, well, if he's outside the temple, 
and he's got this infliction, and he is lame, and he's been that way, then obviously he's done something to deserve that. And the reason he's sitting outside is because clearly God would not welcome him in. There's no way that someone who is in this state would be welcomed inside this place. Because this is the place where the holy God dwells. And so what we can do is we can walk by knowing that we're going to do what we're supposed to do because we're where we belong. And obviously he's not. You see, it's, it's really easy when you play this game to see problems and not people. It's easy when you walk by every single day to see a lame man who is there to beg and see a problem and not a person. It's easy when you drive down the street and see a man holding a sign to see a problem and not a person. Or when you walk through the store and you see that parent, that single parent who can't control their kids and you see a problem and not a person. So many times I think we allow the problem to obstruct our view of the person. And our perception becomes, well, if they're where they are, then they must have done something to deserve it. And obviously, God would not welcome them in. And so you have a lame man sitting on the outside looking in, wishing he could probably be like everyone else to be welcomed. To belong in this place. So he was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put to beg every day from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. And so the man gave him his attention, expecting to see something. From him, expecting to see something from him. It's the first time I would imagine that someone actually looked into his eyes and spoke to him rather than just tossing some change and hoping the problem would go away. Because it's easy when you play the game to put labels on people. I have a really bad habit when I go to the store. Most of the time I go to the store because it's either watch four kids or go shopping. Shopping wins. And, and inevitably when I come home, Cammie will say, hey, did you know that you bought... And every time it's like Rotel, um, Rotel um, Extreme Inferno Edition or something like that, you know. Did you intend to buy this? Like, yeah. I think, I think so. Did you read the label? Kinda. 
See, and the, and the cool thing is with labels that you get what you're, you know what you're getting. You know what is on the inside. There's a list on the back of the ingredients that have caused it to be what it is. And the problem when we place those labels on people is you don't get a list of the ingredients of what have gotten them to this point. But inevitably, we look at someone, we label them, and we know their story. We know why they're there. We know what they've done to deserve them. We know why they are where they are. And labels just make life easier. But the problem with labeling people is you don't know what it is that have gotten them to this point. Many of you know who Jeff Foxworthy is. He is a world-famous comedian. One of the things people don't know that for the last about 10 years, Jeff has volunteered at the Atlanta Mission and is a ministry to homeless people. And Jeff is a small group leader for a group of homeless men that he meets with every Tuesday morning at a Chick-fil-A in Atlanta, sitting down and connecting with them and sharing life with them. And he tells a story about when he first began this ministry, someone had called and invited him to come, and he said, Ugh, I know what this is about. You just want money from me. And he went to lunch and never asked for money. He called him back, and he took him for lunch, and he kept asking, well, what is it that you want? What do you want from me? He goes, I just want you to be a small group leader. And Jeff said, well, I'm kind of busy. I don't have a lot of time, but, but I'll, I'll give you one day. And he said he went with this expectation, and the first person he met was a 20-year-old, 21-year-old man named Jason. He said, I knew his story. I knew what this guy was about. He was 21, he was homeless because he's on drugs and he doesn't have a job. And it's like, well, here's a couple bucks, but you really just need to go get a job and take care of yourself. And he said that day his life changed because he's sitting there talking to Jason and Jason says, you know, when I was 11, I had this perfect family. A mom, a dad, an older brother. And when I was 11 years old, my mom committed suicide and took her own life. And then a year later, my brother committed suicide too and took his own life. And so it was just me and my dad to raise ourselves. And then my sophomore year of college, my dad committed suicide. And it was just me. And he said, I got so tired of feeling the hurt and the pain that I found drugs and alcohol were the only way to just numb it and make it go away. And as Jeff tells the story, he says, if I had gone through that, I would probably be where he is too. See, the problem when we see a problem and not a person is we never hear why they are where they are. And so many times we want to project a story onto them, the story that we already know, instead of taking the time to listen to theirs, to find out what it is that's brought them to that point, 
Why is it that you're a lame man sitting outside a gate? Why is it that no one will pay attention to you? Why is it that you need money? Why is, what's the story behind the story? We see the problem, but what about the person behind the problem? How, how do we address that? Because that's what Jesus has called you to do. Understand, Jesus does not come just to fix a sin problem. He comes to heal a relational problem. The way that it was in the garden is the way that it was supposed to be from the beginning. It is the way it is supposed to be now. And Jesus comes not to just fix a sin problem, but to restore this relationship, to reconcile people in their relationship to God. But it's so much easier to put a label on them and to see a problem rather than a person. So the man gave his undivided attention expecting to get something in return. And Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And so many expectations are in this story. You have the expectation of a, blank, a lame beggar on the side of the temple. And the expectation is to get some money from this man. To get some money from Peter and John because obviously they're okay. And then there's my expectation. I'm expecting a sermon. I mean, because here's this man. You can obviously tell what's wrong. And you know what the problem is. And you know how to fix the problem. And so we're just going to tell him what it is. But yet you don't get that. Instead, you get people who have been with Jesus reaching out their hand and helping someone who cannot walk, walk for the very first time. You get people who see past a problem and see a person who needs to be healed and who reach out their hand and help lift him to his feet and walk. Who see the problem that this person is stuck on the outside of the temple looking in and doesn't think there's a place for him inside, that he does not belong inside because on the inside, everyone's got it right and everyone's got their stuff together. And what's really amazing in this story is the sermon comes later. And it comes to the people who claim to be the people of God who seem to be missing the bigger picture. And as the ruling councils and authorities, they look at the situation and try to figure out what's going wrong, the only conclusion they can come to is, all we know is these men, they've been with Jesus. That's the only explanation 
for their ministry. It's the only way to explain what's just happened. It's the only way to know is these people have been with Jesus and this transformed their eyes. It flipped on their eyes in ways that they've never seen people before. And they, walking into the temple, probably passed a man they've walked past every day of their life. And they reach out their hand and they help him to walk. And what's really interesting is that the people recognize him. As he goes from the outside looking in, he goes to the inside of the temple because he's healed, he's been set free, and he belongs there now. And the people recognize him. But they recognize his past. Oh, this is the man who used to sit here begging. This is who he was. And I wonder if those labels that they place on him obstruct their view of him. He enters through the beautiful gate. And I said this story begs the question, what is beautiful in this story well, it's the temple gate that's so beautiful and it, it helps you to enter into this even beautiful, more beautiful picture of the temple. And then the worship and the prayer to God, this is beautiful. And Peter and James said, no, 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 no. This is not what's beautiful. You want to know what's beautiful? It's this person sitting here who you couldn't see past the problems of. What's beautiful is God restoring and redeeming lives. What's beautiful is someone who was lame being set free. What is beautiful is the work of God in people's lives. That is beautiful. It's not a building. It's not a temple. It's not a service. It's people. Because people matter. And if you lose sight that people matter to God and make it just about what we do when we gather, then you miss the mission of God that he's invited us to be a part of, to join him in. What's beautiful? What's beautiful is the lives of people in this room. People who've been broken by divorce, and yet somehow God has reached into their lives and helped them to walk again. What's beautiful is people who have gone through the loss of a loved one. And some mysterious way God's reached into their life and helped them to stand. Or to those who have been silenced by abuse and God has somehow opened their mouth and let them speak again. Or people who are hurting because of their children and God has reached down His hand and said, here, come walk with me. And the beautiful thing is He's done it through His church. He's done it through a collection of people. Because the church is not a building and it's not a service. It is the people who gather in Jesus' name to do the work of God in this world. To be a light, to be a city on a hill that's set apart. That is your vocation. That is our vocation. That is the purpose of the church. To be a light that is redeeming the world and pointing them to the Redeemer. 
people matter. People matter to God. People matter to the mission of God. And people matter to us. And this man who enters the temple leaping and jumping has echoes from Isaiah. Isaiah in 35 says, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then the eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. And the lame... They will leap like a deer. The same words are used in Isaiah 35 as in Acts 3. What's going to happen on the day of the Lord? What's going to happen when God comes? Those who are lame, they're going to be set free. And they're going to leap like deers. They're going to move from the outside to the inside. They're they're going to feel like they belong as a part of the kingdom of God. And our job as the people of God is to invite them in. Because from the very beginning, God has been pursuing his people. God has been pursuing them and loving them, and he's never stopped. But the problem with this idea is this brings disturbance. This is disturbing It's the idea of Jubilee. It messes things up. It's not clean, it's not pretty. It's messy. It's messy. But what you do see is in the middle of the mess, you see miraculous transformation in people's lives. People who were broken are made whole. And people who could not walk are leaping like deers. Church, we have a mission, the mission of God, to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus in a world that so badly needs it, to speak to people who do not think they matter and let them know that they matter to God, that there is a reason they are here, there is a reason we're inviting them in because they matter. So I want to challenge you this week with a prayer. For, for some of you, I would imagine you sit here and you really question whether or not you matter to God. And I want you to look no further than a cross and a God who said, I'm going to love my people so much that I'm going to give them everything I have, my own life. You want to know your value, you want to know what your worth to God is, it's right there in the cross. 
God loves you, he gave his life for you, and he wants to reconcile and redeem the relationship. He wants you to know that you matter. For a lot of us here, though, we feel like we do matter. We, we know that we matter to God. We've got that down. And so here's what I want you to begin praying this week. God, introduce me to someone who feels like they don't matter. Because the easiest thing in the world to do when we gather around people who are like us is to get to forget that there are a lot of people who are not. There are, not, there are a lot of people who don't feel like they matter to God, who, who feel like they're not a part of the story, who feel like they're not welcome in. And just begin praying that God would introduce you to one person who feels like they don't matter. So that you can begin to tell them how much they do matter. And how much they matter to God. That from the very beginning of time, he has not stopped pursuing them. May we never forget that our mission as the church of Jesus Christ is to be the city on a hill that is lighting the way to the kingdom at work all around us through the work of Jesus. And may we call people to that, to come and die and be raised, to be made new, to leap like deer. Father, today, in this place, would you challenge us? Would you open our eyes? Would you convict us through your Spirit? to see people the way that you do. The only part of creation that bears the resemblance of the creator that's created in your image. Father, may we see past the problems to see people who matter. Father, challenge us. Change us. Let people see that we have been with you and that has transformed and changed our lives forever. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you feel like you don't matter, we want you to know you do matter to us, and we would love to share with you. If we could pray for you, if you need to enter into that death and burial and resurrection through baptism, we would love to do that. And share in that moment with you. If you're not ready for that journey, but want to talk about that journey, there are going to be shepherds, ministry staff around this auditorium. I'll be down here. Whatever you need, let us know how we can help you in that journey. Um, but if we could just simply pray for you as um, people who know you matter to God, that know you're loved by God, to help you see the world through the eyes of the cross, um, we would love to do that as well. So whatever you need, stand while we sing. Days are filled with sorrow 